Good morning, church family. It is good to be with you. Uh, I'm excited about what we get to talk about today. We get to jump into some John the Baptist. Uh, we get to continue in our uh, series uh, in the Gospel of John, and uh, I've been having so much fun with it, but the main thing is uh, I'm excited to have that fun with you, for us to dig into this and see what God's got for us, see how we can be transformed and we can be changed through holy words and scripture about who Jesus is. Uh, before we do, though, I wanted to mention, so the youth that you see up here serving today uh, have spent six weeks serving. This is the time where, where they take and they go, we're, we're not going to go to class right now. We're going we're to serve this body. We're going to love this church. And so what they've been doing is, you, you may have noticed, they've been doing some welcoming as you come in the door. They've been down teaching the, the little kids down in the children's ministry. They've been helping in a lot of different ways. And I want you to know, our youth, we are so thankful for you. And we're grateful for the example that you show us of the way to love a church. And so we appreciate you so much, and we're grateful for you. And we are grateful to see you uh, in what you're even doing up here and helping in uh, tying a towel around your waist and helping wash the feet of the body of Christ here in this way. So uh, we, we, I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Uh, there's no greater joy than to know that your children walk in the truth. And that's what John the, the disciple and the apostle says later in a letter. And so we're excited to watch you walking in the truth of Christ. And we pray that for you forever. And we're going to get to talk even a little bit about that and how we can help make that happen. Wanted to mention a couple of other things. One is um, starting point is coming up next week. If you are new to us or want to know just a little bit more about uh, Kerrville Church of Christ, we would love to invite you to stay after church next week. We're going to have a lunchtime, and we want to tell you about our church. Our elders are going to be there. Our ministers will be there. It's just an opportunity for us to go, hey, here's who we are. Here's where we're going. Ask questions if you want to ask questions. These are the things that we think are important. This is why we do what we do and how we do what we do. And so we would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, there's no obligation. This is not an indoctrination. This is a question time. And this is for us to get to know you and for you to get to know us and for you to find out who we are. So if you'd like to do that, please contact the office uh, you can call up there or you can just send an email up to the office and we would love to hear that you want to be part of that. Um, before we begin, let's, uh, let's start with a prayer. We always begin with asking God to bless what, what's about to happen here and in particular for God to bless the greater kingdom in the Kerrville area, not just this church but others. So let's, let's start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our Father. We thank you that you're good and we thank you that you love us. And uh, we know that because of the sacrifice that you made with your son. And Lord, we know that uh, when we come together this morning, people with hearts uh, that may be heavy and people with hearts that may be full of joy, that there's power in the fact that we get to come together and we lay these at your feet and we get to remember how big you are. You're bigger than the hard things that have happened to us and you're bigger than the good things that have happened to us. And you are God and we are not and we're so grateful because we don't have to be. And so, Lord, we ask that you would comfort those who come with heavy hearts. In particular, Lord, we ask that you would be with the Woods, with Nona Wood and her family and the loss of Richard. We know that right now they have sorrow, and at the same time, they have great hope because Richard claimed you as his, his heavenly father. He was washed in the blood of the Lamb. He belongs to you, and so there is great hope there. Lord, for those that are here that are um, struggling, we ask that they would uh, get comforted by your Holy Spirit today. Most of all, Lord, we ask that as we sing songs and as we worship, that people will see that your presence is in this place and your Holy Spirit will do its work. 
Lord, we're grateful that we are not the only believers here in this town, but there are many who claim you as Lord, and there are many that claim Jesus. And so today in particular, Lord, we pray for Riverside Church of Christ. Lord, we uh, uh, ask that you would bless them and their service that they're having this morning. Kevin Kasparik, that is their preacher, would be bringing words of the gospel that you give him those words. And Lord, we know we have connections to them. We're Many of us related to folks that are over there at Riverside Church of Christ, but we remember more than uh, uh, the physical blood, we have the blood of Christ that washes all of us. And we share that in common. And because of that, Lord, uh, make us unified. Make us all people who point towards the one Savior. Lord, we're grateful for this town, and we ask that you give us opportunity to show people who your son is. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we are continuing on with our uh, gospel series on John. I'm, I have good news for you today. You get to turn the page on that journal if you have that. So we're on page two finally. I know that's a big I know, I know, I know. Uh, and just so you know, if you're, if you're guest with us or you're new here, uh, one of the things that we've been doing is we've handed out uh, the, the gospel of John with a journal so there's an opportunity for you to take notes next to that and maybe mark some things down and go look some things up during the middle of the week. Uh, if you don't have one of those, there may be some more out there. I think we have more. Uh, Vicky's nodding to me, so she's in charge of things like that. And so uh, you, you will be able to grab one of those. We've been able to take notes on this. And so I'm, I'll give you a few places today where you might want to circle a few things and you might want to look at a few things. Uh, but we're excited to be able to, to move over into page two and to talk about this. we got a long scripture today, as you've seen, and we're going to dig into that. Uh, but one of the things I haven't talked to you about yet is um, these words that are up here. I haven't actually acknowledged this, but you see this spirit and truth. Uh, it's kind of going to be the theme as we go through the Gospel of John. And some of you, it may uh, click with you immediately, this idea of spirit and truth. There's, we're going to be into that here in just a, a few more weeks where you're going to hear Jesus say these words. But in particular, uh, I want that to be something that we have on our hearts and our minds because of the way John wrote the Gospel. Uh, people have said, you know, John's Gospel is the spiritual Gospel. It's not to say the other ones aren't. It's just John's the one that just takes a different approach. We started that from the very beginning, right? We started looking at that from the beginning. John's going to do some things that say, hey, listen, there's physical things that you can see with your eyes. There's going to be things that you can count. There's going to be things that you can measure. But those aren't the things that I'm going to be talking about. I want you to look deeper than that. I want you to look into things that aren't just completely right there for you to see with your physical eyes. We're going to talk about things of the spirit and things of truth. And you need to know what that means. That's as opposed to things of the flesh, things that, that usually draw a reaction from us in some way and sometimes lead into our weaknesses, but instead it's going to be things of the Spirit, things that are holy, things of God, things that change us. And not only that, but truth. And you need to know the truth. He's talking about things that are eternal. And so you'll see the way that John even writes about this gospel and the way he writes about Jesus is to go, there are eternal things that we need to be looking at. And so he has this different approach than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the way that they wrote this. And so we're always going to be looking for what are things of the Spirit, and what are things that are eternally true, right? I mean, even the way that John started his gospel, and the way that he's talking about this, you know, we haven't even got to any red letters yet. You know what I mean by that? The red letter gospels, where the words that Jesus says are in red, you know, we, we don't have any, no red letters yet. Went all the way through almost all of the first chapter, John, no red letters and this is because John's setting some things up to go, I want you to look at this differently. There are going to be some things of spirit and of truth. I'm going to use words like the logos. He's the word of God. And I'm going to use light and life. 
And I'm going to talk about the glory of God. And even last week he talked about how the flesh, God came in the flesh and tabernacled around us. And he's talking of things of spirit and things of eternity. And so we're going to keep looking at that. Now today you need to know, switches completely. He's been going life and light and logos and glory. And now he's going to shift and go, John the Baptist. And I want to let you know to begin with, if you're newer to this gospel, we've got John the Apostle who is writing this gospel. And then we have John the Baptist who he's going to be talking about today. And I may at some point misspeak. So I just want to let you know if I do, somebody just kind of wave for a second. When I say, when John the Baptist wrote this, and you go, no, and I go, I'm sorry. John the Apostle wrote this. He's talking about John the Baptist. I will try not to mess that up, okay? I saw one preacher who did it to where he kept referring to John the Baptist as J the B, but I don't want to do that. I think that sounds a little uh, irreverent, so we're not going to be doing that. But I am going to be switching back and forth as we talk about John who wrote this and John the Baptist that, uh, that has a lot to do with what we're talking about today. In particular, that long scripture that you heard our youth read, it's talking about three encounters or three events, and it pushes them all together in the way that John the Apostle wrote this. And you need to know, if you look at this and you try and compare it to some other Gospels, you may go, well, this seems out of a different order. You need to know, John the disciple is not writing this to make sure he gets the order of events exactly right. He's writing about things of spirit and truth. And so he's going to cram some things together for us to see right now because there's a point that we need to see. There are things of eternity and things that he's talking about here that we want to be able to see. So there's these three events or these occasions with John the Baptist that we're going to be looking at today. And I'll get you, if you want to, to even mark this. As a matter of fact, the first encounter or event is verses 19 through 27. If you want to draw a little bracket around that, you can put that and say, this is the first encounter. Now, in some translations, it looks like that may be two encounters. It's hard to tell. Did they send two different groups to ask John the Baptist? Or is this one group, and he's just talking about who they were from? We don't know exactly, but I'm going to treat it as one encounter. Okay? So what you have is John the Baptist and some religious leaders that were sent to him. And they say, we've come for the people in authority above us who have sent us here. And the reason that they've come, you need to understand, is because John the Baptist is drawing a crowd. His name is becoming well-known. There are people starting to gather around him. He's speaking loudly, and he's charismatic, and people want to come here, and he's saying these hard truths, and he's calling people out in these ways. And so this crowd starts coming, and word is starting to spread. And so people are going, John the Baptist. Have you heard John the Baptist? And John the Baptist, this is the way he talks, the baptizer. And so they come and they listen. And so at this point, it felt like some, some Jewish religious leaders needed to come. And what they do is they come to him and go, hey, listen, who are you? And I want you to know that it probably has a little attitude with it of more, who do you think you are? More with what's being said there. So they've come to him and they've been able to ask. And they say, who do you think you are? And John the Baptist's immediate response is, I'm not the Messiah. Now that's really interesting because they didn't ask right then, are you the Messiah? I I can imagine him kind of looking and going, nobody said Messiah, man. But immediately he comes in. And it's so important that John the, the apostle who wrote this said, he confessed freely. He did not deny it, but he confessed freely he's not the Messiah. Well, that seems pretty uh, definitive in a lot of ways. And the reason is because they have come to talk to John, and, and you need to know, there was a little more talk about Messiahs during this time than we really know. You need to know, every now and again, a figure would pop up, and people would begin to wonder, is this him? And Messiah means anointed one. 
is going to be the one who's going to save us in some way. They didn't exactly know what they meant, what that meant, and they didn't exactly know what he would look like. But on occasion, during the first century, in particular, when you have the Jews under Roman rule, and they're suffering, and their kingdom's been taken away, and their temple's been taken away in a lot of ways, and there's all of these things where they're in subjection, that there is this expectation that the Messiah surely must be coming to save us. And so you need to know they thought it would be probably soon. There was this hopeful expectation of this because we think he's going to be coming. Surely he's going to listen to our cries under Roman rule and the Messiah will come in some way. But what that will look like, they didn't really know. And you need to understand that because it's really important for us to grasp. They, they didn't know exactly, but one of the things that they probably did not expect of how it would look is that it's going to be a nobody who's born to two nobodies in a cave and born out of wedlock in a scandalous way, who's going to grow up and turn our religious system upside down and then claim to be the son of God. Nobody was expecting that, okay? So they had these expectations, but they don't know what this is going to look like. So one of the things that happens is they did start to wonder when you saw somebody who was charismatic and somebody who was drawing a crowd, and maybe in the past they had seen maybe somebody who's drawing enough people and who's calling people onto the carpet like Herod, and then he's also calling religious leaders and going, you need to repent, and tax collectors, and you need to repent, and soldiers, and you need to repent. And all of these people are coming and they're going, well, he's starting to build this crowd. Maybe he'll build a crowd. We'll be able to overthrow Rome. Maybe that's what's beginning here. So the idea that they would come to John and he would immediately go, I'm not the Messiah, there's a reason for that. As a matter of fact, if you look in the Gospel of Luke, especially in chapter 3, you will see more of the teachings of John. Because in, in this one, we're not hearing really the teachings of John. We're just jumping right into who he is. But in Luke chapter 3, you'll see some of that. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 15, you'll even see that the people were waiting expectantly. And we're all wondering in their hearts if John might be the Messiah. So there's a reason that they've come out there to ask him who he is. And there's a reason John the Baptist goes, hey, if that's what you're wanting to know, I ain't him. That's not me. And not only does he say it, but they make a point of saying he freely confessed that and said, that is not who I am. If you're wondering, it's not that. I want to make it clear right now. Okay, in this first instance. So now here's the next thing. Because they don't know exactly what it's going to look like, there's a lot of figures throughout their history that you would see in the Old Testament that they talk about with this that also kind of look like the Messiah. Because again, they don't know exactly what this is going to look like when the anointed one comes. They weren't expecting someone like Jesus. So they move right into the next question. Are you Elijah? Is that who you are? Now, that's a strange question. Are you Elijah, this guy who lived centuries before us. Is that who you are? And if you want to, you can make a note right there. If you want to know who Elijah is and you don't know a lot about that, write down 1 Kings 17. Go in there and look at that. You will see all kinds of stuff that Elijah does. You want to know why they thought maybe he was Elijah? Because Elijah called his people to repent. He would get in their face and go, you, you need to repent. You need to turn back to God. Not only that, he did miracles. He did signs. He had power. He dressed like John the Baptist. Kind of weird out in the wilderness. So there are some reasons that they're going back to that. He's this messianic type figure that the people during the first century would have been looking for, someone who's like Elijah. And if you look at Malachi 
uh, verses four, uh, chapter 4, verses 5, you'll see that they start talking in such a way that, that, that they predict one of the last prophets who spoke about what's going to happen said, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. If you go back a chapter in Malachi 3, one of the things that you'll see is Malachi is talking about there will come a day of the Lord. And this is what the day of the Lord is going to look like. Jewish people know this, okay? The day of the Lord will look like this. God is finally going to set things right. He's going to take his people, and he's going to elevate them and give them their kingdom back. And they're going to look more like they're going to be forgiven, and they're going to be restored, and they're going to be saved. And then the people that have oppressed them, they're going to get theirs. Justice will reign. So when they ask, are you Elijah, one of the things that you need to know is they're hearkening back to this in Malachi 4, where he says, when this day, this day of the Lord, when things are going to be set right, Elijah's going to come first. So that's why they're asking, are you, are you this guy? Is this, are you Elijah? And of course, immediately, John the Baptist says, that's not me either. I'm not only that. I'm not that. And it's funny because you need to know too that according to Jewish scripture, Elijah never died. See, Elijah fulfilled his calling to God, and then he was taken up to God. So there was this thought that goes, Elijah never died. He may be back. And when he comes back, then things are going to be set right. So he was kind of a messianic figure too. He might look like what the Messiah, the anointed one, will be when he comes back. And John the Baptist says, that's not me. So then they ask the third question, are you the prophet? And you need to know that the way that this is worded is not, are you a prophet? Because they had lots of prophets. It's more of, are you the prophet? Well, the prophet is loaded language too. They're asking a specific question. So back in the Old Testament, as Moses was about to die, he gave this big, long speech to his people. And one of the things that he said is, after me, the Lord is going to rise up another prophet, someone who's like me. In Deuteronomy 8.15, this is what it looks like. This is what he says. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Now, the Jewish people have always thought there will be somebody who will be like Moses. And you need to know, Joshua followed Moses but nobody really thought Joshua probably was who they were talking about because Joshua was not any, in any way Moses. Moses was the figure that was most respected in Jewish, Jewish faith. Think about why. This is the one who led us out of captivity. This is the one who led us out of slavery. This is the one who would go and talk to God face to face on our behalf. He was an interceder for us. He was the one that went and met with the cloud of God and asked for our forgiveness for us. He's the one that asked God for mercy and for grace for us. He was the one that saw the glory of God. And so if there's going to be somebody like him, maybe that's what the Messiah will be like. He's the prophet. Are you that guy? Is that who we're talking about? And again, you have John the Baptist going, nope, that's not me either. So these questions become then, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you baptizing people? And you need to understand that John the Baptist was baptizing Jews for the most part. Now, baptism, we like to think that we kind of invented that, Christians invented that. Baptism, ritual washing for cleansing, was something that existed in the Jewish culture for a long time. If you were a Gentile and you decided that you wanted to become a Jew, then they would have you go through this 
this ritual cleansing where you would walk down in and you would be baptized. You would be dunked in the water and then you would come up and you would be a new person. But that's not what John the Baptist is doing. John the Baptist is calling Jews who are God's chosen people and going, you need to repent. You have forgotten your God. You have forgotten what he's called you to. And so you need to come and you need to be cleansed. And so it was a big deal for him to be baptizing. And that's why they're asking these questions. What are you doing? Who are you? And then finally, you have John the Baptist who says, in Isaiah, quoting from Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 3, he says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So John the Baptist says, you want to know who I am? I am going to hearken back, but you need to know. I'm going to call on Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 are the words that are said when God's people who have been in exile, right, been, been taken away from their home, are finally coming back, and they're getting their land back, and they're getting their temple back, and they're getting their, their religion back, and they're, they're, they're being able to be redeemed, and they're being restored. And Isaiah talked about that and said, make straight the path for the Lord for this. And he goes, that's who I am. You want to know who I am? I'm that guy. I'm the one who's pointing him out. I'm not him, but I'm the one that will point him out. I know him, and I'll be able to show you who he is. And not only that, but I make straight the way. I clear the path so that you'll be able to see who he is. I will make it clear who he is. I'm the voice that will point him out. That's all just the first encounter. Don't worry, the rest of them aren't going to last that long. That's just the first encounter. So the religious leaders come, and John the Baptist basically says, look, here's the deal. I'm not him, but I know who he is, and I'm going to point him out for you. So then what happens is they say, the next day. Here's the next day. Jesus is coming forward, and John the Baptist goes, that's him. That's the one I've been talking about. There, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the one. I said I was going to point him out, and I'm pointing him out. This is the one I've been talking about. This is the one who's so much more important than me. You're asking me who I am, and I'm telling you, it's not me. It's him. He's different than me. He does things different from me. As a matter of fact, I'm not even worthy to do a slave's job and to take his shoes off. That's how different he is than me. He's eternal. One of the things that John the Baptist says is, you need to know, he's greater than me because he was before me. Well, we all know John the Baptist is older than Jesus. Okay, he was born before Jesus. So when he says he's before me, he's referring back to in the beginning. So he goes, he's eternal. He's different. I baptize for repentance. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's been anointed by the Spirit. John the Baptist even says, I've witnessed the Holy Spirit come down and rest on him. That's how I know he's different. The Holy Spirit is upon him. And the Spirit rested on him. He's the Son of God, which was huge words to be able to say at that time. I'm not him, but I'm able to witness and say, that's him. And so that's what he does. Then it's the next day. And the next day, he does it again. It says, John the Baptist was there with a couple of disciples. And as they saw Jesus coming by, he looked at him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, I want to tell you something. It's an interesting phrase that it says, John looked at him as he was walking by. A lot of scholars have said that those are the words that look more like 
instead of saying that he just looked at him as he walked, he's like, well, there he is, that, that guy over there, that John the Baptist looked at the way he walked. He looked at the way Jesus walked. In other words, he looked at his life, and he looked at the way he treated people, and he looked at the things that he said, and he looked at who he was, and again went, that's him. That's the Lamb of God. That's what you want. That's what you've been waiting for. And you may have been looking for a military leader, and maybe you were looking for the lion. I'm telling you, it's the lamb. That's him right there. And that's the third encounter. Now, the interesting thing with that one is after he points him out, his own disciples leave and go follow Jesus. Now, I want you to understand something. That is a huge deal. When you committed to be a follower of a rabbi, and he called you to it and said, I want you to come follow me, you pretty much bound yourself to him for life. Right outside of marriage, it was the most important relationship that you could have. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you do. I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to sleep where you sleep. I'm going to eat what you eat. I'm going to do everything just like you. And then to say his disciples left him and began to follow Jesus is a scandalous thing. You do not leave your rabbi. But you have John the Baptist going, that's him. And his disciples leave, and they begin to follow him. All right. Three instances, three events. Why? Why does John the disciple write this? And why is he telling us this? And why is he putting this all together in this way? And you need to know it's because there's something happening here that is bigger than just the story of John the Baptist. I want to tell you, we're going to talk about John the Baptist another time. I love John the Baptist. He's one of my heroes. This isn't about John the Baptist. This is about Jesus. John the disciple is making sure that we understand something about Jesus. As he says this, what he's doing is making the point. As he said, you saw people, and there was a crowd that gathered around John the Baptist. With your eyes, you can see, and I'm going to tell you again, the difference between seeing with the Spirit and seeing with the flesh. You can see that he's gathered a crowd. You can see that John the Baptist is charismatic. You can see that he's a teacher. You can see that all these people are coming around there. And you can look at that and go, maybe we can use this for our benefit, and maybe we can build an army, and maybe we can set ourselves free. But what you don't see is the spiritual part about this. This is the Lamb of God. You look at John the Baptist and go, he looks like what a Messiah would look like. And John the Baptist is going, no, that's him over there. I'm not him. The things that you can't see are the things that are going to matter the most. He can heal you in ways that I can't heal you. I'm not him but I make straight the way to him. I'm trying to make it clear. I'm trying to make a clear path. When we talk about highways and straightening down mountains, you need to know what he's trying to say. Is going, I'm trying to make it as easy as possible for you to be able to go to the Lamb of God. I want you to see the Savior, and I want to make a path, and I want to make it easy for you to be able to do that. I can't do what he does. My baptism doesn't do what his baptism does. My disciples won't get from me what they would get from following him. I don't save people. I'm not the lamb. I can't be the perfect sacrifice. The one that's coming here that you don't know yet, I'm pointing them out to you. Get ready, because he's coming, and that's him. And I want you to know, and I want to make it easy for you to get to him. I want to make a straight path where you can see who he is, and all you've got to do is go follow him. And you can be like those two disciples who just left and went. And we'll come to learn it for John the Baptist. That was a huge deal and a great deal for him. What an amazing figure, because what you have is John the Baptist who lost so much when he did this. I want you to think about this, because he had the crowd, 
And he had the people talking, and he had the reputation. And he had the people that were looking at him and going, maybe he's him. And instead, John the Baptist points him out, and at great cost to him, he lost his influence, he lost his crowd, he lost his church, he lost his fame, and eventually he's going to lose his life. All so that he can point to the one that really matters. All right, so what does this mean? And what does this mean for us? Oh, if we could be John the Baptist. If we could take after him. If we could be those people who say, it's not about us. You need to know. It's not about the way we do things. It's not about our church. It's not about our name. It's about the Lamb of God. We want to point the way to the Savior. And that's a hard thing to do because you might lose something with that. You might lose your own desires, and you might lose your own preferences, and you may have to take the spotlight off of yourself. And I know that so often we go and we quote that scripture that says, have an answer for your faith when people come ask you. And sometimes what we do with that is we take that and we make that about us. And instead, instead of answering about our faith, we try to defend ourselves. And let me tell you about me and why we feel this way and why we do it this way. And that's not it. It's him. It's not us. We should be pointing the way to him. Take the spotlight off of us. And put it on him. If there's one thing that we should be known for, it should be people who always point the way and go, there he is, the Lamb of God. And if that costs us, then glory be to God, it costs us. Because what we get to do is take that off of ourselves and we get to point that back to him. It's not our name. It's not our way of doing things. It's not the way that, that we look and the way that we act. Anytime anybody asks, you get to go, it's about him. It's about the Lamb of God. And that is our role, no matter what it costs us. What I love about John the Baptist is there was an urgency with it. Because the first day when they came and asked him, I'm not him, but I'm going to show him to you. The next day, there he is. The next day, there he is. And he kept saying it, I believe, until his disciples finally would leave. And they would leave him and they would go. There's that urgency. Oh, that we had that urgency for people to know who Christ is. For people to be saved. I worked in Austin with a group uh, called Freedom Church. And there were some folks that had been at the church that, that I worked at for a long time. And then they found a way to go and work in the prison system. And there was a halfway house out of the Dell Valley Correctional Facility. It's a federal pen. And then you moved from the federal pen and you moved into this kind of halfway area. And then you went back out into society. And these folks had gone there. And for 20 years, they had gone and held services, worship time teaching about Jesus in this one little uh, halfway area. They didn't come here. They went there every Sunday morning. And one of the things that, that when you would go and talk to these people who, who went and worked with them is they go, we get these people for six weeks. They're coming out of prison where they've been uh, put away and told, you don't matter. As a matter of fact, you're so dangerous, we've got to remove you from society. And they're about to go back, and oftentimes they're going to go right back into the world that they left. And in between that time, we get them for six weeks do you know what we want to do? we got six weeks to show them the Lamb of God. We're not interested in trying to teach them anything else. We don't have any traditions to teach them. We don't have any ways of going do it like us. We're not going, it's not us. It's him. And in six weeks, we got to show you who the Lamb of God is. And we want you to see him, and we want to point him out. And we want you to know who he is, because he's the one that saves. We don't. Amen. It's his baptism, not ours. Right? These are the things that we want. He saves. We don't. So we have this urgency to do that. And our desire is that our urgency would be in the same way. And then we get to hand that off to people. 
that we could be John the Baptist to be able to point the way. You want to know what that looks like? I'll give you a little example of what that looks like. Uh, I'm going to invite Anderson. Would you come up here? Anderson Arns, one of our youth, is a new disciple. He's a new follower of Christ. It's only been a little while. But I want you to hear uh, him talk for just a minute. He's going to preach with me for a minute about um, his walk with the Lord. So if you would. Hello, everybody. Like, <laughs> like Mr. Warner said, my name is Anderson Arns. And on Christmas Day 2019, I made the decision to be baptized and become a follower of Jesus. I had many reasons to be baptized, things like seeing camp baptisms and for forgiveness of my sins. But a major re influence on my choice to be baptized was the family members and other peers pointing me towards Jesus. I realize now that I had lots of, lots of John the Baptist in my life that had been pointing me to the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. For example, my grandpa Poppy played a huge role in my faith. He was a very strong Christian and would help answer any of my questions. He and my grandma Mimi constantly pointed me towards the Lord. Other people that majorly helped me in my faith were my parents. Uh, <laughs> as long as I can remember, I've been in a church singing and praising the Lord almost every Sunday. My parents have always strengthened my faith and helped lead me towards my baptism. I'm thankful for my church family, too, and the role you each played in my upbringing and for showing me examples on how to live my life in faith. Now that I've been baptized, though, there's some important things in my life that have had to take a back seat for my religion. Some of these things include my parents, although I still need to obey them, my friends, my wants, and even my hobbies like soccer. I have to put everything in my life behind Jesus, my Savior, and make sure he's number one in my life. And now that I've been baptized, I need to be like John the Baptist and point people in the correct direction. Some ways I've already started is by pointing, by, uh, pointing people towards John or towards God is by inviting my friends to church and being open about my faith with others. In conclusion, many people around me have helped influence my faith for the better, just like how John the Baptist pointed his disciples to the true Messiah. And if you've been baptized, then that is the standard you are held to, to point people in the correct direction towards the Lord. Thanks, Ben. You want me to stay No, you can go ahead and sit. You see what happens? We pass that on. You've been able to help point towards the Lamb of God, and because of that, eternal things have happened. You have people that are now disciples. It's a goal, right? I mean, the Rileys who came up here with Declan... I know they want nothing more than for someday that little baby to grow up and to go, it's not mom and dad, it's Jesus. He's the one that saves me. Now, um, thank you, Anderson, for mentioning. You still got to obey mom and dad. You got to honor God. That's one of the things about following Jesus. But one of the things you realize is to go, there will come a time Well, I will step away. And the person who rules and who shows everything about who I am is going to turn to Christ. And I'm going to go and I'm going to do that. And then it's going to be, my following of him. And that's what we get to do. You are part of that. You get to do that. And someday, he's going to grow up. And he, someday, forget someday, he's doing it now. He just spent the last several weeks teaching downstairs in the children's ministry. You want to know why? Because he's somebody who goes, I'm not it, but I know who it is. That's him, little ones. Point you towards Christ. This is what we exist for. This is why we're here. This is our calling. 
is for us to remember. Someone was willing, at great cost maybe, to point out to us who the Savior is. And then we get to do that for somebody else. And what happens is the kingdom of God comes to earth and things are changed. We're going to take a minute and uh, we're going to pray. And so uh, if we can, I'm going to ask you to stand for just a moment because uh, we're going to spend some time. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to ask folks to pray with elders and ministers around here, pray with people near you, uh, pray at your seat if you need to. But this is a time, here's what I'd like for us to do if we can. I'd like for you to stop and I'm going to give you a moment here before our pray of silence. And I'd like for first for you to think of the John the Baptist that have been in your life. Who are the people, maybe from way back, who pointed him out? The people who showed him, the ones who said, there he is, that's the guy. It may be relatives, it may be people that are at this church, it may be folks that you remember from way back. But I want you to stop for a second and I want you to spend some time in thankful prayer to God that somebody stood up and said, behold, the Lamb of God is there for you. And then what we're going to do is we're going to pray too. And if you want to spend some time praying, that the Lord would give you opportunity, that you could be the John the Baptist for some people, that you would have the opportunity to say, that's him, it's not me. And with that, that we would have some humility, that we would set our egos, our preferences, our own things aside, and we would have an urgency to show people who Christ is and say, there's the Lamb of God. So if you want to pray with somebody, you can pray with, for, around with elders, ministers, with each other, whatever you need. But in particular, I'm going to give us just a minute here at the beginning uh, to think about the people that have been John the Baptist in your life. Let's pray. Lord, I am uh, so mindful right now of the people that you put in my life that pointed the way. People that were willing to say, there he is. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's the Messiah. There's the Savior. There's the Rabbi. You follow him. Thankful for teachers that I had when I was just a little child. Thankful for youth ministers that you put in my life. Thankful for um, family friends who showed me what it was like to walk with Christ. Lord, I'm thankful that I could look and watch in the way in which they walked. And from I saw the way that they walked, I knew that they followed something that was bigger than themselves. I saw people of sacrifice, and I saw people that uh, went through difficult times, and they held on tightly to the Lamb. Lord, I ask that you would remind us all of the people that you sent into our lives to show us who you are and to walk with you. We're thankful for them. Lord, we also ask that you would use us in powerful ways. Let us be known as a place and as a church that points towards the Lamb, that we care about that more than anything else that there is. That there is nothing that we care about more than making straight the path to the Lamb. We would make it easy for people to see who He is. We wouldn't put any obstacles in their way. That We would flatten the mountains and the hills we would make a highway for people to speedily find who you are and to join themselves to the Lamb of God. And Lord, through that, we will get to rejoice in the way that we see people being redeemed and being saved. Lord, we ask you to hear our prayer and we ask you to transform us 
that we would all, always look in spirit and in truth for ways that we can show people who you are. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray all this. Amen.